want to welcome you to Memorial United Methodist. My name is Joe Cade. I'm the pastor here. We're so grateful that you've joined us in worship today. I want you to open your bulletin to the announcements that start with radical hospitality. We try to frame our announcements in the five practices, and we do our very best to live them out, to um, talk about them, to help them inform our decisions. The first of which is radical hospitality. We have visitor cards and prayer cards in every pew and pencils. If you want to share a prayer concern with our congregation, with our Tuesday prayer group, you can fill it out and leave it in the offering plate, and they will definitely get it. You can also call the pastoral care emergency phone on the front of the bulletin at any time, 24-7, and we'll get an email, and you can leave us a prayer concern there, or tell us an immediate need uh, that you have that you'd like us to respond to. Basketball registration is closing down. It's on our website. If you want to register, please go to memorialgreer.com. Uh, supper at 6 on November 1st is going to be fun. We're going to eat in the social hall. We're going to watch a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving on the TV. And we're going to decorate the foundation classes boxes uh, that will be delivered an amazing meal uh, to people in our community. Uh, so we, um, if you want to come to that meal, if you'll sign in the attendance register, uh, you're out from your name how many and whether they are adults or children. We have another meal reservation in this service. They're two very different things. This one is in your attendance register. Uh, write that down there. The Fall Festival is coming up on October 29th from 5 to 6.30, and you can see your bulletin for details. We need volunteers in a couple of more areas, so if you're interested in serving and volunteering, please let Aaron know. We've received all kinds of cupcakes and treats and toys from you, and we're grateful for that to have a great time. Uh, we believe in intentional faith development. Uh, tonight is a different sort of night because uh, Greenville County Schools have fall break. Uh, we do not have have uh, programming for children and youth, but the adult class led by Don and Marion Beach will meet. Uh, they'll meet this Sunday night. None of us will meet next Sunday night because it's the fall festival uh, and we'll be doing that. Uh, we believe in risk-taking mission and service, and you see opportunities that uh, you can give uh, or serve or volunteer in your bulletin. And we believe in extravagant generosity. You'll have an announcement about that uh, in the midst of the worship service and also uh, on the back page of your bulletin. You see every uh, item about our, your giving and also how to give electronically. Uh, we have one extra today, and that's Charge Conference. It is at 3 p.m. Uh, this Sunday after th this afternoon. Uh, normally, Charge Conference is held at your church. It's combined, uh, so there's eight of us gathering at Covenant United Methodist. Charge Conference is a once-a-year uh, meeting where you celebrate things you've done in the last 12 months, establish your leaders coming up in 2018 uh, through 2020, and vote any sort of uh, important votes that we need to have. So that's at 3 p.m. today. We'll worship for about 45 minutes in Covenant Sanctuary, and then we'll split off to our individual rooms to um, vote. So if you're on uh, administrative council, as we've mentioned to you, um, we, we strongly encourage you to be there, uh, but any of you um, are welcome to come. I believe that's all of our announcements, so if you'll stand as you're able and join us for our first hymn, number 400.
Let us now affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From then she shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life of us. Amen. Please be seated. Our first scripture reading today is from the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 2 through 7. We give thanks to God always for you all, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brethren beloved by God, that he has chosen you. For our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We have a unique time of year in which we celebrate the process of Consecration Sunday. Consecration Sunday is November 19th. It's uh, the third Sunday in November. There'll be one service. It will be at 10 a.m. It will be in this space, and we will have a celebration dinner with our entire congregation in the Family Life Center. It's also the day of the foundation class uh, Thanksgiving boxes. It's also going to be the day that you, um, you, you remember I gave you surveys for leadership positions on committees. You're going to get surveys on volunteering on things like choir and ushering and things all over our campus. You'll turn that in on Consecration Sunday as well. It's a promise of our commitment to serve and give in 2018. So what we're doing for the next three weeks is something that you've grown accustomed to as part of the process here, is taking reservations for that dinner on November 19th. 
So if just one member of each uh, family unit or whatever combination you are would please stand up, an usher will bring you a card and have you fill it out. Even if you're not going to come, we'd like to know that you're not going to come so we know exactly what to plan for. So if Simon says, please stand up, just one of you, and look at the other one and go, it's going to be you. <laughs> And ushers, if you'll please uh, give a card. As soon as you get a card, you can sit down. And you're going to um, fill out the card and pass it back to the middle. And for your trouble, while we do this, Don is going to play something cool. And y'all can do it as well, if, if you're not represented out there.
Thank you, Don. And thank you, uh, ushers, and thank you for filling out the cards. We'll ask again over the next three weeks. If you did it today, you're done. You don't have to stand up and um, you're ready to go unless you tell us there's a change one way or the other. Um, some churches, people feel, talk about money way too much. Some people feel like they don't talk about it enough. And if we took a number of people in this congregation and asked them where they are on that grid, it'd be all over the place. You'll see a letter in the bulletin. You'll see letters in the newsletter. Uh, this is the most faithful practice that I've been a part of in the most special opportunity of a church window of time that I've ever been a part of as well. And I encourage you um, to participate in this process. Thank you.
Let us pray. Gracious God, as we've read, as we've sung, your greatest hope is that we could be an instrument, a vessel of your message, someone that can impact a community by being transparent and giving away to you and your will. And simultaneously we read a text of which people were trying to stop your will in deep anger and resentment. Help us focus, Lord, on these two distinct sides of ourselves that can be equally accessed at any time based on our willingness, based on our rest, based on our strength, based on our attitude. Guide us, Lord. Comfort us, inspire us with the prayer your Son taught His disciple to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's now time for our offering, and you can give as the plate goes by or electronically with instructions on the back of the bulletin.
be seated. Our scripture lesson today, the gospel lesson, comes from Matthew chapter 22, starting with verse 15. And you can find that on page 1535 or within a couple of pages of that in your pew Bible. Please keep them open as I tend to break up different parts and read different parts until the conclusion. Before we read that, I want to give you an example of technology that has changed political debates. In 1960, the first presidential debate was televised. Millions of people watched it. Three quarters of Americans, or better, watched the exact same thing on television. That doesn't happen. I've watched it three times on YouTube this week in preparation for talking about it today. And there's um, three things that I noticed about it. One is uh, the two uh, were quite different. Though they both had military service, though they were both fairly young, one had executive experience, one had legislative experience. But they were very respectful, at least on television, of one another's ideas. They both said they want to do the same things, they want to achieve the same goal, but they both said that it couldn't be further from the path that I would take to try to achieve that goal. And if you believe that's the right thing to do, I think you should vote for my opponent. They did that over and over again. They also made sure that they looked right at the camera as if they were talking to a person. Because this is the first instance in history that they can speak to that many people like that at the exact same time. But the hardest part, and if you've studied history or political science or you just remember it from when it happened, is the irony of that day. Nixon was fairly healthy, a fairly healthy man. But he was sick at the time, temporarily sick. He wouldn't put makeup on and was sweating. Kennedy was a fairly sick man with different uh, ailments that he'd had since childhood. But that particular day looked strong and had makeup on. Nixon, though, he delivered everything he wanted to say would occasionally have a hitch in what he said. And I'm thinking that everyone who watched it wondered, what does that hitch mean? Does that mean he's thinking? Does that mean he's thinking too hard? Does that mean he has to recall what it is and he doesn't necessarily believe it? And people who listened on the radio felt 2-1. Do you remember? Nixon. But people who watched it on TV felt Kennedy won. And it changed everything in politics from that day forward in terms of the visual. And the idea was not the thing that day. It was the way he looked. And it was a big mistake. In 2008, candidates started using social media like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all sorts of things that are coming apart at the scenes now. And it was the first time they were used in a really big way in 2008. Now they were used again in 2016, but it started with 2008. And that's when they took just little segments that were some sort of mistake, made sure it went out to every single person with a comment and with several people commenting on that mistake so that it went to millions in an instant. Those two mediums changed it 
so that it's less about the idea and more about an avoiding a mistake. And when that's the environment, when people don't feel confident to truly share their strengths and weaknesses with one another, and you're simply trying to avoid a mistake, you're not learning much about one another, and it's not in great a great environment to learn who we should vote for. Keep that in mind as we read our text today. Matthew 22, starting with verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words, him being Jesus. They sent their disciples along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It said they laid plans. In the Common English Bible used at 9 o'clock, it said they were meeting together. They're meeting together about a man who has taught people in ways that they were never taught before. Drawn people to learn who have never been interested in learning. Healed people who were given a life sentence of their disease and motivated people whose faith had waned or had gone away completely. This is a superstar of a person, whether he is the Messiah, as he says, or not, who is delivering the message of God, the same God that we serve, and gathering thousands that were not previously interested. The response of that, of these men, is to gather to see a way that they can stop him. How could that be? Why would you want to stop a person who's gathering thousands and drawing them to you and to God? Let me tell you the trouble that he's in. Jesus. This is a quote from Keith Erickson. He says, Jesus is faced with two choices. He can either agree to the tax, casting his lot with the Herodians. That word simply meaning Herod is the puppet put in charge by the Romans and he's siding with them. In which case he's a traitor to his own people. Or he can rebuke the tax, in which case he's, insubor he's an insubordinate rebel against the state. Both put Jesus in serious jeopardy. Either he betrays his people or he declares war on Rome. So this happens, unfortunately, in the life of politics in which they put a person in a position in which they are done after this question, whichever way they go. Now, this isn't simply about a race. This isn't simply who's going to lead us. This is this man's life. One side or the other will take Jesus' life based on his answer to this question and faithful religious leaders of God have put it that way because they want someone to do it. They want him to either back up and leave town or for his life to be snuffed out by either side. They don't care which one. And again, we've got to ask ourselves, how in the world 
could faithful religious leaders get to that point? A point in which they're completely uninterested in ideas. They want a mistake and they don't care which way it happens. Verse 18. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites! Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose portrait is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. So there was an A or a B on the test. An A or a B is trouble. And he had a writing answer, C. Give one to one and one to the other. What's the trouble? I'll tell you what their trouble is. The idea, the notion of permanence. Human beings know deep down that we're only here for a window of time. Even though we deny it all the time, even though we fight it all the time, there is a window of time in which we are here, and there's a much, much smaller window in which we have any authority whatsoever. Because first you've got to earn it, and then you give it to the next person. They have laws that have been handed down for centuries, they have practices built on those laws that they built themselves that they think are the embodiment of what God wants. They have authority that they've earned through study and time. And they have fears that Jesus will wreck everything. He'll wreck everything. See, because when the Roman government comes to your nation and takes it over, they bribe important people that are your people your neighbors, to make sure that you stay in line. And they don't mess with the religious authorities because I won't need to mess with them as long as they don't stir anything up. And we'll put puppets in every place and you can have just enough power to keep you satisfied. And Jesus is coming through that and ripping it all down. So the slightest bit of power that they have, the slightest bit of authority to ha that they have, the permanence that they feel about their position and about their laws makes it such that they can hear nothing. I don't want to hear a single thing from you. You ever get that way in a relationship? You cannot hear a single thing from this person. Short term, long term. And of course, relationships end because of that tendency. Jobs end because of that tendency. People leave churches because of that tendency. And it's because we feel we've only got an amount of time. And you'll see different manifestations of our sense of our own permanence. You ever go to Bald Rock? You go um, up through past Furman on your left, and the road splits, and was that? Uh, 25 and 276. 276 goes to the left, and it will take you to Asbury Hills. It will take you to Table Rock. It will take you to Caesar's Head. It will take you to Bald Rock. If you go online, when you get home and you Google Bald Rock, you look it up, you can see these amazing panoramic views of uh, Greenville from here to there. The other thing you'll see is that nearly every square inch of Bald Rock has been spray painted on by people who have gone there. Have you noticed that? 
Some of them messages of love to another person. Some of them I was here. Some of them not safe for work. But they wanted to put that on that rock. Why? This is why it's hard to be um, my children. Because they'll say, Daddy, why did someone spray paint uh, um, whatever that is on that rock? And I say, well, you know, the rock is permanent. And people have a sense of their own mortality, so they want to write something on something permanent. And the reason we want to do that is because, and they're like, okay, okay, I got it. People just want to spray paint on a rock. I got it. But why do we write that in a tree? Why do we write it on a rock in a spray paint that will not come off? Because we want to say that we were here. And you go just a couple of generations back and we have to think really hard about what happened and who did it. And so these men in these positions with this fragile authority and their sense of permanence want this man out. Even though he's drawing thousands of people who had nothing to do with them to their place. How could that be? Well, I'll make sure to not make fun of it. You know why? Because in 2007, I went to a new church start. It was a new church restart. It was five years old. And it was in an elementary school cafeteria. And I was surrounded by other new church starts and um, non-denominational churches like Seacoast and New Spring and the monsters that surround us, like uh, Brookwood. I was 29, and I thought, I'm part of the establishment though I have none of the uh, resources of the establishment, like this campus has. They are anti-establishment, and they have all sorts of pretty buildings and pretty lights, and they're drawing people there and amazing music, and it deeply upset me. Who are they drawing? Lots of people who didn't have anything to do with church. What are they talking about? <laughs> Jesus. What did I think? They will take any person that's ever interested in something that I'm trying to do. I don't like them. Isn't that something? Theologically trained, ordained by this conference to be a leader in this church wearing this robe freaked out that someone is drawing people away. It's as real as it gets. So what we fail to remember and you go back to that image of the rock is that if God is that rock always been here. Always will be here. And our time is as temporary as can be if you look at human history. And we've got a window. And sometimes in that window, you think that there's a person who is the most powerful one and will be the most powerful one. In fact, his face is on a coin, and it's Caesar. Is Caesar still here? Is that structure still here? No. Let's go thousands of years back. The most powerful one was Pharaoh. 
All we could ever think is that He will be the most powerful one. Is He there? Is that structure there? No. God is that foundation that we even walk on before we even realize it. And our acknowledgement of it and of our own mortality can give us a great sense of a window of time that we've got in order to serve rather than hold it so tight like this. You ever feel your hand that balled up? That angry? That bitter? And you're thinking, is there any way possible I can undercut this person who is in my way? If you haven't felt it, I bet you've been around someone that's felt it. You've had a leader who's, done, who's led that way. Verse 22. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Not amazed like, oh my goodness, we learned something about ourselves today. We're going to be changed men. Amazed that he got out of it. And now we're going to think of another way to try to trip him up. The religious authorities. The ones who were in that chair in the most crucial spot held it like this. We've got to constantly be aware of our own tendency to do, to, to do so with the smallest of things and the largest of things. They failed to see the crowd welcomed him. They failed to see the legitimacy of his anger with the money changers in the temple. They failed to see the incredible potential of his wisdom. And they aligned themselves against him. So here's a simple question. How do you align yourself? Do you align yourself with people who are temporarily extremely powerful or with one who was, is, and always will be powerful. Here's the rub. If you align yourself with God, it will not result in having the loudest words, the strongest armies, the extravagant wealth, that's what the temporarily powerful have. And the temporarily powerful have just handed it to one another or grabbed it from one another from Pharaoh to today. So the rub is, if I tell you you're going to align yourself with the one who is truly powerful, it's going to come in the form of weakness. It's going to come in the form of a simple, fragile, shifting, challenging movement. Like a man who murdered someone and is out in the desert never feeling like he'll ever do anything again, being called back to lead his people out of Egypt. Like the youngest son who was bringing snacks to the front, grabbing his slingshot and going out against Goliath. Like a teenage girl who was going to get water, who was pledged to be married, and all of a sudden was going to have a baby before she was married. Time and time again, it's the fragile ones who have nothing to lose and everything to gain that are the instruments of God's mercy and justice and wisdom and power. We align ourselves with God, the most powerful, 
by allowing ourselves to be the most fragile and willing to change. Clenched fists or open hands. And this text sets the tone for us. The songs that we've sung and the song we will sing are the exact opposite of this text in such a perfect way. Notice those songs. Treasure those songs. And try to live those songs rather than what we've read in this text today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you'll stand as you're able to sing our last hymn, number 451.